Hey, I'm Will. And I'm Kat. If you love 1980s pop culture, you'll love 1980s now. Each week we discuss our favorite 1980s media. Like movies, TV shows, music. Yeah, we chat with our favorite 1980s celebrities. Like affirmations with Dee Wallace. And other times, uh, Alex Winter tells us what Bill and Ted's phone booth smells like. But it's always fun. You don't have to miss the 1980s. You can have your 1980s now. Michelle Obama gave us a garden, Nancy Reagan gave us Just Say No, and Flossie Harding? Well, she might have given us a dead president. Never heard of her? We're going to fix that today when we look at one of the most influential and brilliant first ladies no one has ever heard of, Florence Flossie Harding, on this week's This Was a Thing. just for sport this was a thing that was a thing the cotton club where ellington would swing this that these those were things hi i'm ray and i'm rob and you're listening to this was a thing the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the number one suspect in the suspicious death of 29th President Warren G. Harding, his wife. What? Flossie Harding. This was a thing because it was the first presidential administration to end in an unending stream of scandals and the first and only time that the first lady would be pointed to as a possible assassin. Now, both Warren and Flossie died before they could defend these revelations, so their legacy has been tarnished by rumors and innuendo. But in my research, what I came to realize was that First Lady Flossie Harding is perhaps the most maligned and misunderstood First Lady in our history, a woman who was more of a president than her sex-obsessed, incompetent husband. Wow. <laughs> I have, uh, what do I follow with that? I will be honest with you. I got my degree in political science, so I'm a little bit of a policy nerd and a history nerd. So if at any time I start to wander, Ray, you have to say, Rob, shut up. This has nothing to do with bringing back the positive reputation that belongs to Flossie Florence Harding. Got it. So first of all, we're going to talk a little bit about first ladies if I may. Yes, please. First ladies have always had this very unique place in American history because it seems like just about every first lady in the past 150 years or so has been consistently criticized for either doing too much as a first lady, we're going to put like Nancy Reagan and Hillary into that camp, or not enough, and we'll put somebody like Laura Bush or Melania Trump in that camp. Hmm. So it's sort of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about presidents, the one thing that everyone just sort of remembers about Warren Harding, who was only in office for a couple of years before he died during his first term, is that he was probably one of the most ineffective presidents who left a, a trail of disaster in his wake. So if you're not really going to talk that much about him, then you're really not going to talk about that much about his wife, Flossie. Florence Harding. And I just want to describe to our audience, Rob had to switch hands. He was holding the book the entire time because it, it is such a big book <laughs> that he, he was like, oh, God, I got to switch arms. <laughs> Flossie's going to throw the book at you. So this first lady, though, was pretty smart because she was literally doing too much. She was practically running the presidency, but made it appear as if she wasn't doing anything. Huh? Flossie, had she been around in 2021, 2022, she would have run for president and probably won. So who exactly is Flossie Harding? And like I said, she's the prime suspect in the death, the mysterious death ooh, ooh. of Warren G. Harding. Flossie, Flossie. Hey. <laughs> to picture Flossie, you kind of have to think of Mama from Mama's family. Oh. Or, I'm sorry, she kind of looks like Mitch McConnell in drag. 
So you have to picture what Mitch McConnell looks like, then stick a wig and a dress Mitch on him. Mitch McConnell playing Mama in yep. Mama's Family. So we're going to go back to the 1800s, the late 1800s when Flossie was growing up. All the she, way back. All the way back. She grew up in Ohio. She wanted to be a concert pianist. Kind of cool. So she went to CCM, which was the Cincinnati College of Music, mm-hmm. right? Conservatory of Music. Her father, dad, wanted a different life for her because he was very conservative and he was very traditional. And they would totally get into fights about what she thought a woman should do and how she wanted to pursue her life. And him being like, can you just do what all the other women are doing? And they would discuss gender roles and they would fight over what was going on in the country. And then he would get so frustrated with like trying to change her mind. He would just go, I can't take this anymore. So he would take a switch out and just beat her with it. Wow. But Flossie's got it. She's like, fuck you. I got it. So Flossie's like, all right, dad, you want to hit me? I got a surprise for you. At 19 years old, she elopes with a factory worker named Pete the Wolf. Not from Chicago. Hey. Hey. hey the Wolf. That's uh, his real name was Pete Wolf. But in Chicago, <laughs> yeah. Pete the Pete Wolf. Pete the Wolf. Oh, I'll tell you about the Wolf. They have a kid together named Marshall. The Wolf. Marshall the Wolf. And then she realizes, okay, I think I kind of rushed into this. This guy's an alcoholic. And she leaves him. And she divorces him. And that makes Flossie Harding our first divorced first lady. Her mom supports her financially and the grandson. While Flossie's like, I'm going to teach piano to make some money. And at night, she's not with her kids. She goes out skating to pick up guys. Can she ollie? (laughs) Her dad says, I can't. He's like, Flossie, this is not good for Marshall. I'm going to adopt Marshall. I'm going to say that Marshall Marshall can be our kid. And she's like, great. So she's like, I'm going to go out on dates. (laughs) Okay. Because obviously it was hard back then to be like, hey, I'm a divorced woman. No, it makes sense. Because back then the mentality was, and this is something like the dad was talking to her about, was he's like, the mentality is that you did something wrong, which justifies why the guy got a divorce. You couldn't keep him happy, which is such fucking bullshit. It's ridiculous. That was the mentality. So if she came in, she's like, oh, yeah, I got a kid. That was going to be a problem. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Great. We're going to jump to 1886 because Flossie is going to meet the owner of a local newspaper that she is six years older than. Oh. His name is Warren Harding, and he has a sister, and the sister is actually a student of Flossie's. Now, Warren is very attractive by 1800 standards. If you've not seen a picture of Warren Harding, folks, I want you to think of Sam the Eagle. Oh, yeah. But like with a white mane of hair. Still blue, though. Still blue. Still blue. She likes Warren. She's like, he runs a newspaper. He seems like a great guy. And he's younger. Now, in 1891, Warren and Flossie get married. Flossie's dead. He says to her, he goes, Flossie. She's, he's like, I don't like this guy. I don't like Warren. He goes, I think he's using you to get your money and to climb the social ladder. The mom convinces the dad. She's like, calm the fuck down. Dad stays home. She goes to the wedding because mom is very supportive of Flossie. They get married. And I think this is kind of cool. I call this hey feminist. Flossie is like, I'm not going to wear my wedding wing. Hey feminist. And he calls her boss. At least he admitted it. Boss on the streets, Flossie in the sheets. Bossy, Flossie. A couple of years after they get married, Warren suffers from deep depression. Deep, deep depression. He has to go into a sanitarium. So Flossie is left to informally run the newspaper that he owned. Because as a woman, she has no power. So she's taking over the newspaper for him, but she's not really in control, if that makes sense. This guy ran a newspaper that was okay. When he was in the sanitarium, here's what Flossie did while he was gone. She created a circulation department, which they hadn't had previously. She improved distribution methods. She trained the freaking newsboys, and they called themselves Mrs. Harding's boys. And if they did a good job, she rewarded them. And if they didn't do a good job, she would beat the shit out of them. And people told each other, like, don't come today. She's here and she's angry and she knows you didn't do a good job on your route. What's my reward, Mrs. Harding? I don't beat the shit out of you. That's your reward. Okay, okay. (laughs) She bought better equipment at great prices because apparently Warren was like, how much does that cost? And the guy was like, a million dollars. And she's like, great, take it. And she's like, fuck you. She's like, I'll give you a dollar. And not only does she buy the equipment, she can fix it if it breaks. Wow. She knows exactly how to fix yes, it if something goes can. wrong with it. And also, I think this is really cool. She said to the the people on the newspaper, she says, hey, listen, you know, women also read newspapers and none of the stories you write 
ever think about women or appeal to women, so let's change that. So she got more feminist stories printed in this newspaper. She hired the first female reporter in Ohio. And somebody said, like, tell me about your relationship between Warren. Like, how does this work? And she said, he does well when he listens to me and poorly when he does not. He wears the pants. She just picks him out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so now Warren gets out of the sanitarium and she goes, I think you'd be really good in politics. She goes, here's how we'll work this (laughs) out. That's how most politicians start, right right out of the sanitarium. (laughs) She says. She says, she goes, I think you should run for state Senate. She goes, here's how this is going to work. Start small. Start small. (laughs) She's like, you're attractive and you're charismatic and I can do policy and speeches and manage the finances. (laughs) And I can fix any machine that breaks down. She tells her dad, she's like, yeah, Warren's going to run for state Senate. And the dad says, fuck him. And dad actively campaigns for Warren's opponent. (laughs) Now, here's where we're going to get into some, some like interesting flossy trivia. She was really big into astrology. And she would consult an astrologer on absolutely everything. This is going to play a part later on in the year that he runs for president. Now, Flossie is interesting because she says, I'm going to actually watch how government works. So she would go to legislative meetings and observe from the balcony. And then she Uh would go to newspaper offices to win the husband good coverage and observe how like they get stories out there. So she's literally absorbing every single way she can push her husband high up the ladder. And she says to him, you got only a couple of rules. She said, you can break these rules when you get more successful, which is what we are going to do. She's like, Lady Macbeth, this is what we are going to do. She says, one, you're not going to piss anybody off in the beginning of all this. She goes, you will not piss anybody off. She goes, whatever the leaders want, you will agree with. She goes, also, be realistic and be practical. Do not have your head in the clouds. He gets reelected in 1901. Then in 1903, he becomes the lieutenant governor of Ohio. 1905, Flossie gets sick. She, like, her entire life, she's going to have liver problems, kidney problems, internal problems, right? 1905, she gets sick with something called a floating kidney. And she's Uh. in the hospital. I know, right? She goes into the hospital She's sick, and this recuperation period is taking a really, really, really long time. How does Warren Harding repay Flossie for running his newspaper company, managing the newspaper, getting him elected, and pretty much like breaking up her entire family? Does it involve a sexy nurse? Oh, even worse than that. He fucks her best friend. Oh. While she's laying there in the hospital. He goes to fuck literally her best friend, a woman named Carrie Phillips. Carrie Phillips is Flossie's best friend and their neighbor. Carrie's got a husband. The husband isn't doing too well. So Warren says the husband should go stay in a sanitarium like I did. He should go check into a hospital for depression. So that guy is now in the hospital. Flossie's in the hospital. And Carrie loses her baby. Warren goes over to console her. With his penis. <laughs> the way Flossie finds out is is because after they get out of the hospital, they still are writing like love letters to each other. And you know how I bet how Flossie felt? Pretty saucy. <laughs> Flossie saucy. Saucy Flossie. So her friends that know about this, they're like, hey Flossie, like you gotta leave him. And she said, you know, I'm too invested in his career right now <laughs> not to leave him. <laughs> He's not even invested in his own career. Now, even though Flossie finds out, Warren still fucks Carrie as many times as he possibly can. Just right? no more letters. He can't keep it in his pants. There's a quote that goes to Warren Harding, and he's like, <laughs> that was funny. He goes, I love sex so much. If I were a woman, I'd be pregnant. But at least he knows his ovaries are working. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So Warren and Carrie, their affair lasts for 15 years. Jesus Christ. Oh, it gets better. I got stories coming down the pike. Do you think one of the letters was like, I want to fill up Phillips? Oh, you know, it's so funny that you asked me about the letters because we have the letters. (laughs) Did I just segue? You did segue. Wow. Now, this is what's really sad. When you read the letters that Warren and Carrie wrote to one another, it's clear that they actually genuinely love each other. And Warren feels that Flossie was so sick she was going to die. And then when she died, that meant he and Carrie could be together. And that just never happened, right? Mm -hmm. Now, these letters are really fascinating. They're sometimes poetic and romantic. And uh, here's an example of some of that poetry. 
right now. Oh. I love to suck your breath away. I love to cling there long to stay. I love you garbed, but naked more. Love your beauty to thus adore. I need to go get a towel. <laughs> okay, now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. That was kind of nice. It was romantic. He was a poet. Here's another nice little quote from him that he wrote to her. I feel that there will never be any relief until I take a long, deep, wild draft on your lips and then bury my face on your pillowing breasts. Now, that is hot. I feel like that's Guccione material. <laughs> oh, well, now he's going to amp it up a little bit. Take it away, Warren. Wouldn't you like to get sopping wet out on Superior? Not the lake. For the joy of fevered fondling and melting kisses. When the bells rang the chorus, while our hearts sang the rapture without words, and we greeted the new year from the hollowed heights of heaven, fate timed that marvelous coincidence. He's, so he's talking about them having sex and climaxing at the very moment that the new year was ringing. This is where it gets even wonkier, Mr. Hubel. Okay. They also find in this research that Warren quite often refers to somebody by the name of Jerry in his letters. In the cabinet? Yeah. Here's John Oliver. Harding actually writes about Jerry in his letters saying, and again, I'll quote, you recall Jerry, he told me to say that you are the best and darlingest in the world. And if he could have but one wish, it would be to be held in your darling embrace and be thrilled by your pink lips. I will say this. I will say this for Warren Harding. As a president, he was terrible. But as an R&B lyricist, he was way ahead of his time. Jerry is what he names his penis. Oh. Jerry is what Warren Harding names his penis, and that's the code that he uses in the letters to carry. Well, he calls his pants his cabinet, so my guess was right. <laughs> so he, absolutely, absolutely. He's a dirty old man. Okay, so Warren and Carrie are literally sexting each other back and forth during this time. When she's in the hospital, while her husband is fucking her best friend, she meets a homeopathic doctor, a guy named oh. Charles Sawyer. Remember that name, because Mr. Sawyer, Dr. Sawyer is going to come back to us. <laughs> Thank you. She starts to depend on this guy for everything. She can't blow her nose without checking with Charles Sawyer first, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like me and WebMD. <laughs> now, at the same time, she's still seeing the psychic. And she says to the- Astrologist. Sorry, the astrologist. Come on. These are two different wavelengths no, that we're right. operating You're on. right. My aura is all screwed up for today. I have to talk to Charles. So she says to the astrologer, I want Warren to run for governor. And the astrologer all of a sudden becomes James Carville and is like, <laughs> you know, no, he shouldn't run for governor. He needs to get national attention. Um, you should be looking at Washington. That's really where you should be looking. And he should be stumping for William Howard Taft's re-election. Taft loses, even though Warren has tried stumping for him. He loses. Warren is very upset about this. So what does he do? He fucks Carrie. Okay, so at this point, well, now we're in 1914. She gets sick again, Flossie, but she pulls through because she wants to advise Warren on his Senate run. And she says to him, listen, this is really important. His opponent in the Senate race is Catholic. And everyone's like, go anti-Catholic. She says to him, look, don't do any anti-Catholic stuff. He goes, okay. And he ends up winning the Senate seat. I'm sure he celebrated by fucking Carrie. Oh, absolutely. While he was writing a letter about fucking Carrie. <laughs> this guy is like, really? Multitasking. I ran out of ink. Hold on. Oh, that's disgusting. Hey, friends. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay, head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to Patreon.com and send us some money, and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T- 
R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. So when she gets to D.C., she's like, Warren needs to get national attention. So she goes out and she beats literally the press drum for papers to cover Warren. She goes to newspaper offices. She has lunches with reporters and is like, you have to give him coverage. The country has to know who she is. Now, in addition to that, she also becomes a huge animal rights activist and gives speeches on the fact that animals should have rights. When World War I happens, she decides that she's going to help Ohio women moving from Washington, D.C., like find housing and find jobs, right? She gets all the other senators' wives to put up a Red Cross unit where they're going to make clothing for soldiers in the battlefield. And all the time that Flossie is literally changing the world and making one's life easier, what's Warren doing? Fucking caring. Great answer. As World War I is approaching, this is where it starts to get really interesting between Warren and Carrie and the genius of Flossie Harding. Carrie is like, I don't really believe we should be going to fight in Germany. I don't think we should be fighting in World War One, right? And I don't support the men that go off to fight. Carrie was working for the Kaiser. Oh, you know this story? Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Wow, that was a good guess. <laughs> and one day, Flossie sees Carrie in a train station. Now, I mean, they, they haven't really talked since she found out he was, she was fucking his, her husband. And she like just attacks her at the train station and is like, you're un-American and you should be ashamed of yourself. And you know, you're diminishing our boys that are going off to fight. And so what does Warren do? He sends Carrie a fucking letter, a love letter, apologizing for Flossie's behavior. <laughs> Carrie is uh, not bi-coastal per se, but she has oh. uh, she has dual citizenship. Not only does she live in America, she's also living in Germany. And the government is watching Carrie now because they think she's a German spy who's trying to get secrets from Warren Harding, who is pro-war is this like the original eric swalwell stuff well now it gets even better so it's bandied about that harding might be the republican nominee for president to run against woodrow wilson in 1916 and germany doesn't want that so she blackmails warren harding carrie and says if you run for president I'm going to release the letters. Wow. Right? So he's like, I'm not going to run for president. (laughs) He's like, I I just won't do that. Had he run and had he been elected, I think we would have had a whole different history about World War I. Wow. But she was like, I got the receipts and I don't mind giving them out to people. If you're like, can Warren Harding get any more despicable? Why the answer is yes, he can. Because guess what? He's fucking around on Carrie too. A woman named Nan Britton. God, that is such a 1920s name. Oh, just wait for this. Nan Britton. Just fucking wait for this. Wait for this. Wait for this. Nan Britton, Warren Harding, and Nan's dad are the same age. Okay. They're in their 50s. Nan is much, 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 much younger. She's a local in Ohio. She fucking idolizes Warren Harding. She's obsessed with Warren Harding. And in 1917, she's like, hey, can you help me get a job? So they meet in a hotel room and they make out and then she ends up losing her virginity to him. Oh, and then also because he's like, I can't fuck you at, at, at the house. They literally fuck in his Senate office. Oh, by the way, 1919, guess what? She gets pregnant by him. Oh. And she gives birth to the only child that Warren Harding has ever had. So now Warren Harding has an illegitimate love child. So there's a legacy. This legacy is a costly legacy because he has to pay Nan Britton $500 a month to take care of his love child. And on top of that, now that like America has gone into World War I and the war is over, right? Carrie's like, I have no leverage, right? You know, like to, to, to say I'm going to release the letters. So now that the war's over, she's like, okay, Warren, give me $5,000 for every year you're president and I won't release the letters to the press. So now she's blackmailing him. So he has to give her $5,000 a year. Are they still fucking? I would assume so. Yeah. <laughs> I would assume so. He's probably like, okay, hold on. Let me cut the check now. Because the, it was a different time in Washington, the press not only never really covered any of this stuff, but Flossie was like, you will not cover this. And this will not get out. 
she was like the wall. You could not get past this person. She wanted to make sure that her husband was always protected. In 1920, Warren is now mentioned again as a Republican nominee for the presidency. And Flossie's like, nope, nobody knows him yet. We have to have him more time. And Warren's like, I think we really need your support. So Florence, oh man, now goes to Madame Marcia, Madame Marcia, Madame Marcia. And she's the one who predicts, she goes, well, yeah, he could run and he'll get elected, but he's going to die in office. (laughs) And maybe Flossie was like, Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, this will show you to keep in your fucking pants. Now, the way the person gets to be the nominee is there's a lot of like backroom wheeling and dealing and, you know, cajoling and promises made. Who's doing all of this? Flossie. Flossie is doing it. She's the one that's out there talking to people and all that stuff, right? And when the numbers are low for him in his home state of like maybe he won't get the nomination in Ohio, like, you know, and he's like, I think I'm just going to give it up and move on. Um, she says to him, Warren Harding, what are you doing? Give up? Not until the convention is over. <laughs> she sort of like snaps out yeah. of it. Like, get, get it together, man. She pretty much keeps him in the race. And then she says to him, she goes, here's how what your campaign's going to be. She goes, it's going to be a front porch campaign. Okay. What that means is, is literally the guy never leaves his house. He goes onto his front porch. He gives speeches. He answers questions. He goes back into his so house. So you're saying I could run for president. You could run for president if you wanted to. Wow. Now- the people that have to go into the house to meet with him. Uh, I don't like that. Who guess who they have to pass? Flosse, Flosse. And the press is kind of fascinated with her. Guess what breakfast craze Flossie starts after she eats one of these things at breakfast and all the guests are like, this was so wonderful. Can I get the recipe? Pizza for breakfast. Oh, I wish. Bagel bites. No. Uh, waffles. Wow. Now, though, we have some trouble in Ohio. Ooh. Okay. Here's where I'm also like, Flossie, you're badass. So the guy that she divorced, remember him? Oh, yeah. He died. So she was able to deflect the press inquiries about her first marriage by implying she had been widowed. She was like, oh, I didn't. She's like, he died. She never said, I divorced him, then he died. She's like, he died. She also kept the Carrie Phillips stuff, the extortion plot. She kept that very quiet. And on the night that Warren is elected president, the mob outside and all of his like campaign advisors, they pick her up, Flossie, and carry her through the town. <laughs> So Flossie is now our new first lady. And what's the first thing she does? She tells one of the senators she is aiming to become the most successful first lady in history. Oh. She then immediately tells Warren who can and can't be in the cabinet. And also people are convinced that she wrote his inaugural speech because there's like so many passages in there about women being in political life. The first thing Warren does when he's in office is something Florence requested, which is she goes, I want the White House gates. I want them opened so that the public can come in any time. And sometimes when the <laughs> public came in, she acted as a tour guide. She was also one of the first ladies to like actually reply to letters that were being sent to her. She didn't farm it off to secretaries. And then she had press conferences. She actually had press conferences. She would have four o'clock tea, and she only had like female reporters there. Wow. And she called them us girls, because like she ran his newspaper. She's like, I'm a reporter too, babies. She was like, hey, how much money are we like spending on the White House each year. And they told her, and she goes, guys, there's a recession. So she cut the budget. Wow. <laughs> She's like, we, we got to cut it. She had a terrier that everyone loved. They wrote a song for her called Flow from Ohio. Now, here's the problem. Warren Harding's vice president was a guy named Calvin Coolidge. Oh, sure. And he had a wife named Grace. And Grace was very elegant and very beautiful. And all of high society is like, we like Grace better than we like Flo. It's a real Housewives of Washington, D.C. Absolutely. So even though Flo is doing all this great stuff, they're just like, we like Grace. She's prettier and she's nicer. And also she's more refined. Because Flossie also did things that other first ladies had not done at that time. Like she invited actors over to the White House because you weren't supposed to mix with actors. She's like, no, actors are coming. And she had them to dinner. They did movie premieres at the White House. And even though it was prohibition, she secretly served liquor to her guests. Wow. She was probably one of the most recognizable first ladies at the time because the time Warren Harding is president, they're doing a lot of those newsreels and she's always by Warren's side. Mm -hmm. So like the public automatically recognizes what she looks like. Then she's not only doing like the traditional first lady stuff, she's now also getting involved in politics. She is concerned for immigrant children that are trapped in bureaucracy. She's like, is there a way that we can 
untrap them from uh, bureaucracy. Untrap them. She believed that she wanted to support the victims of the Armenian genocide, and she personally funded a kid that survived it with her own money. Oh, wow. This is also, that was pretty revolutionary at the time. She raised public awareness of women who managed household finance. She's like, women should manage the household finance. And she said, if you're married, you should know something about your husband's work. Not just like, oh, he's a lawyer, but how does law work? Mm -hmm. Not that he runs a shop. What does he do? How much money it makes? So she's really pushing for women to have a larger role in society. And remember, this was like right after the women got the right to vote, right? And everyone sort of knew that she was the brains behind everything because Life magazine ran this really funny cartoon. It's a picture of the Hardings, and it says the chief executive and Mr. Harding. (laughs) The one thing that Warren could not do, once again, is the guy just could not keep it in his pants. He just couldn't keep it in his pants. And she kept saying, you're going to fuck this up for us. And she went out of her way to like clean up every single mess that he made. She once hired a private investigator to spy on Nan Britton and steal the love letters that Warren had sent her. Oh, wow. By 1922, this guy, he just got more brazen with this cheating. Like he would bring women into the Oval Office. He would bring women into the White House and just sort of sleep with them there. And so eventually in like September of 1922, she got really sick. And the everyone in the U.S. was like, oh, my God, what's happening to Flossie? Poor Flossie. I hope Flossie's okay. Tons of letters saying I hope Flossie. Then accidentally it got released that she died. Oh, and wow. people went nuts. And they were like, thank God it's actually like not a mistake. Luckily, she pulled through. And how did Warren celebrate her healthy recovery? Banging some broad. Yeah. So we're going to go to 1923, which is the last year that Warren is in office. I like to call this year the beginning of the end. One of the people that Flossie lobbied for to be in Warren's cabinet was a guy named Charles Forbes. And she's like, I want him to run Veterans Affairs. But it was discovered that Forbes had been stealing money and taking bribes. And she goes to Warren and she's like, you have to fire him. And Warren's like, I kind of like him. He's a fun guy. And she gets so upset by this, she actually tries to choke Forbes. (laughs) Because she's like, I trusted you, you lied to us, and now you've embarrassed my husband. So Charles leaves and he goes to prison. And then the seeds of Teapot Dome start to rear its head. I'm sure we will do an episode on Teapot Dome because before Watergate, it was the biggest presidential scandal. So just very quickly as a reminder, Warren Harding has a tendency to surround himself with the best people, only the best. Only the best. And one of those great people is Albert Fall, who's the Secretary of the Interior. Would he be the Fall guy? Actually, he is in this situation. Uh, I wonder if that's where it comes from. Oh. Can anyone help us with that? Anyway, so Albert Fall leased Navy Petroleum Reserves at Teapot Dome, which was located in Wyoming, to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. The guy's taking kickbacks. Now, this is starting to rear its head in 1923, but the public is not fully aware of the magnitude of it because I'm sure at some point you were going to find out that Warren Harding knew about it Oh yeah, and allowed this to happen. So Flossie is like, what can we do to sort of, one, restore our image, which is probably going to be ruined in any second, and start to announce that you're running for re-election in 1924? And so they come up with this idea of the voyage of understanding. It's a sequel to Voyage of Sinbad. (laughs) I like to call it the voyage of death. And the voyage of understanding is going to be a goodwill tour that the Harding's going to do that takes them from coast to coast. The problem is, is that Warren hasn't really been feeling himself. He's got shortness of breath. He's got chest pains. He's unable to sleep unless he's like in the right position. So obviously something is wrong. So Flossie's like, what's wrong with him? And the homeopathic doctor, Charles Sawyer, who she loves, says nothing. He goes, nothing that a little lavender oil can't fix. And he'll be fine to go on the trip. It's a suppository. It's a suppository. Another doctor examines him and is like, if he goes on this trip, he's going to die. Like, lavender oil ain't going to help this. This guy's going to die. So they come to a compromise. They will do the full tour, but they're going to have a full medical staff going with them. Warren tries to go out there and make speeches and like do local activities. And he's like sick. He's like, he's short of breath. He can't do it. He looks really bad. And if this is not bad enough, one night Harding looks to his commerce secretary, Herbert Hoover, who's going to be president later on. And he looks at Hoover and says, um, 
if you knew of a great scandal in our administration, would you, for the good of the country and the party, expose it publicly, or would you bury it? Like, just be, like, it, like hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, Herb. Herbie boy. Now, they go up to Seattle, and at this point, he gets the horn, makes a speech, and he looks like he's going to keel over at the podium. So they go to Dr. Sawyer again, and he's like, bad seafood. It's <laughs> bad seafood. So they start giving he starts giving them laxatives. This is this is like if Tom Sawyer became a doctor, <laughs> like the the Mark Twain the Mark Twain created character. I had to run away from marriage with Becky Thatcher, so I stole a stethoscope and I acted like I was the doctor. And on my way, I done stole a bunch of lavender flowers and I made some oil out of it. <laughs> All right, so now it's August. <laughs> Second, 1923. Oh, my God. It's 7.30. Harding's in bed. His wife, Flossie, is the only one in the room. She's reading to him. He just dies. I found him like this. There's a pillow over his head. <laughs> so nobody, I, there's all these different accounts of, like, what exactly happened. The one thing that we think we know is that he was in the room with her when he died. Now, here's where this starts to get really bizarre. Flossie apparently, like, starts going nuts. That he's just like dropped dead. So she accuses the owners of the hotel where he was staying. She goes, food poisoning. She's like, you served him something that killed him. And so she calls Janet Johnston, who's the like wealthy socialite granddaughter who owns of the owner of the hotel. She says, she goes, come into the room. She goes, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. You killed my husband. And Johnston looks over and on the bedside table, there's a half filled glass and she picks it up, and she's like, this smells really weird. And she's like, I'm going to take this glass and have the contents analyzed. And Flossie snatched the glass away and dropped her threat of a lawsuit. Huh. Flossie also says there cannot be an autopsy of him. And he has to be embalmed immediately. Now, the other doctors are so frustrated by this refusal because the press and the public, which is like, he was a popular president, sure. by the way. The press and the public are like, oh my God, like, you know, what's going on? The doctors are incompetent. There's malpractice. Maybe one of the doctors poisoned the president. So the doctors are like, we can't defend ourselves, right? We can't, we, if there was an autopsy, we could say what he died from and say that, like, we didn't do this. So all these doctors' reputations are ruined because she doesn't want to have the autopsy done. And then she burns tons of Warren's letters, tons of Warren's papers. There's two reasons why she might not want to have had an autopsy. The most obvious one is she killed him and they would find out that she, he died of being poisoned. The other reason, which seems a little bit more logical to me, is she didn't want Sawyer to get in trouble for misdiagnosing the president. And then also kind of bizarre, like after the funeral, Flossie like says to a friend, now that it's all over, I'm beginning to think it was for the best. And then a year later, she dies. Oh. At age 64. And after she dies in 1930, there's an embittered former Harding administration official. His name is Gaston Means. He writes a book called The Strange Death of President Harding. And in the book, he says Flossie knew that it was going to come out that he had had a love child. And it was going to come out that he was that the administration was involved in all these scandals, and she didn't want him to go through that, so she killed him, so he could die like a hero and die with dignity. What do you think? Hmm. Guess what? We'll talk about it when we come back. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Thank you to the Newark, New Jersey Men's Society for presenting their thesis on the suffering of suffragettes, a look at sufficiency. We are very excited to bring on the final presenter here at the 1923 Scholastic Book Conference. Without further ado, here is the final speaker of the conference. She used to be the first lady of these United States, here to discuss her book, If I Had Done It, Miss Florence Flossie Harding. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, my new book, 
if I had done it, is a hypothetical look on how I would have killed my cheating, immoral, bastard louse of a husband if I decided to slip small amounts of phenobarbital which I had purchased from a man named Daniel Collier at 832 J Street in exchange for sexual favors while his wife Gertie was not at home into Warren's mint green tea at 7.07 p.m. on August 2nd of 1923. And if I had done it, how, as Warren lay choking to death, his eyes pleading with me as his cheating hands grabbed at my lilac dressing gown, I would have smiled and looked him right in the eye and said, This is all your fault, you disgusting pig of a man. It is I who should be the leader, not you. And if I had done it, I would have waited two hours and twenty-two minutes to watch the life drain from his cheating lips before I let anyone know what had happened. But of course, this is all hypothetical. If I had done it, any questions? Do you plan on writing a sequel? Possibly. It depends on Grace Coolidge's schedule. Thank you. This was a sketch. Okay, so... Here's all the evidence of the Warren Harding, Flossie Harding saga. What did he die of? Was it a natural death? Was he, was he misdiagnosed? Or did Flossie kill him? What do you think, Ray? I mean, I think Flossie did something, especially if she was behind so much of his legacy and then realized that it was going to be all tarnished with all the work she did. I feel like it's like, well, it's time, Warren. I This is a hard one for me because... When I first read about this, I thought to myself, you know, oh, this is a rumor that somebody has created because there's no way that this woman would kill her husband. She knew for years he was cheating on like no, this is this is this isn't this isn't real. It's gossip. And then when I started to do the research and I thought, my God, she knows that pretty soon this guy's whole career is gonna get ruined. What did she do? Did she was she really that protective of him? And said, I don't want him to die this way. I don't want him to die a loser. Or be remembered as a loser. Well, and he represented her. And, you know, at least maybe the general public didn't know that. But she, I'm sure, didn't want to, you know, like... and Because here's the thing. She'll still be associated with him no matter what the, what the public knew, whether she was behind this stuff. If they just knew her as the wife of Warren G. Harding and all this shit came out, then she would have a tarnished name even though she had nothing to do with, like, the bad stuff. No, totally. And honestly, my opinion is the more I thought about it, I think that... He died of natural causes. I really do. I think that he obviously was very sick. Everybody knew he was sick and nobody helped him. That's the bottom line. But I think when she said to her friend, I think it's for the best, I think she I, I think she genuinely believes that. But what do you think was in that glass? When you said that glass, that was the thing that got me. You know, that was a story, as I understand it, that the woman, uh, the, the, the socialite told, but I don't know if there were any witnesses to that. Got it. Unless what was in that was something that Charles Sawyer gave him that she's now realized that's what killed him and that's what she gets rid of it it's just a little bit of boysenberry and gasoline all right so what's what is flossie harding's legacy in pop culture well number one if this was a different time flossie would have been running for president and flossie probably would have won the presidency that's what i think and what i love is that this guy i don't think he wanted to be president honestly i it seems like everything in his life was done because she said go do this and this is how you do it so I think he's interesting because he doesn't want it, but she's fascinating because her ambition is ruthless. She's like, you will be a winner. Yeah. And I hate the fact, this is what I, this is really why I wanted to talk about it and what I didn't like about the saga of Flossie is here's a woman who created all of these wonderful opportunities for herself, wonderful opportunities for people around her. She was a businesswoman before being a businesswoman was even that much of a thing. She wanted to make sure that the country was in good hands. She wanted to make sure that people were taken care of. And it's all thrown away because she's the wife of a guy who wasn't a good president because he didn't really accomplish anything. Sure. And all of the scandals and the death sort of have clouded this and now this woman is a footnote in history but she was probably one of the most progressive first ladies we've ever had therefore letting women have seats at the table and encouraging women in ways they had not been encouraged previously is there like a, an equivalent today like i i mean i think like 90s hillary yeah is probably an example of that you know here's a brilliant brilliant person 
who's getting upstaged by a man who has no moral compass. What would the response like be for her in 2021? She would be RBG. She would be Hillary Rodham. She'd be oh, AOC. She w- I think she would be on that sort of pedestal. I would have a Funko Pop of her. Oh, God. So the reason that we're talking about her is because, you know, a lot of historians say, oh, the role of the first lady was really redefined by Eleanor Roosevelt. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But also, Eleanor Roosevelt had three and a half or so presidential terms. To get her she name. had a while. She had a while. In literally three years, look at everything that Flossie did, and then look at her life leading up. Yeah, before even she got there. Yeah, so I kind of don't, I mean, God bless Eleanor Roosevelt, but I'm also like, I think Flossie Harding did a lot for women too, and I don't, and I, I hate that she's just sort of this footnote in history. You know what I really wish, though? I wish she had had enough time to get remarried again and just enjoy her life. Do you, do you think she would have met someone named Softing? <laughs> So, that is the legacy of Flossie Harding. She was a thing. The whole administration of Warren Harding was a thing. Because it was one of the first times that you saw an entire administration just remembered for its scandal, its corruption, and its inability to have any sort of moral center. And it's women. And it's women. But but a casualty of that is the fantastic Flossie Harding. Let's play a game, Ray. Okay. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rob. Hello, Ray. Thank you very much for having me back. I'm happy to be here. And learned a lot of interesting facts about how much of a freaky weirdo Flossie Harding Flossie was. Flossie and Warren. Did, Warren. Did, did you vote for Warren Harding in the uh, 1920 you know, election? That's a personal question. Uh, I'm sorry. But I did campaign for him. But <laughs> I will not tell you if I voted for him or not. <laughs> I voted for Coolidge. <laughs> but something, that, I mean, it, it's interesting that he named his member. He did. <laughs> you know, but it got me thinking a lot of guys do that. And there's no way that he's the only president that did that. So no. there must have been other U.S. presidents that named their their junk something. And we're going to figure out what that is in this game, which I'm calling Tricky Dickies. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to name you. I've got eight U.S. presidents here. We're going to go down, and you guys are going to deliberate, and you're going to tell me he what you think. He says it's think. eight. It's really five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I round up. <laughs> I'm going to name eight presidents here, and you're going to tell me what you think their nickname for their own penis was so we'll start with the one and only mr george washington <laughs> okay, okay i got it cherry tree oh, oh that's good okay and the chopping chopping Can it you down chop this down i cannot tell a lie i'm hard <laughs> <laughs> i'm hard <laughs> i like that's our george washington impression <laughs> hey i cannot tell hey, a lie can i tell a lie <laughs> i got an idea let's cross the delaware which way's the delaware i don't know this way yeah george can you not point with your erect penis <laughs> How about Honest Abe, Abraham Lincoln? What did Abraham Lincoln name his... Mary Todd Jr. Four score and seven inches ago. Four skin and seven inches ago. Oh! Yes. Oh! That's a good one. I don't know if we can top that one. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. I, I, I mean, I think his nickname of Old Rough and Ready yeah. sort of feels appropriate. <laughs> I feel like he would... I mean, his his innuendo would have been like mustache ride stuff. Like mm. he was the cunnilingus king. Kingalingus. So you just think he didn't do anything with his dick? I'm sure he did. What was his tongue name? <laughs> old Rough and Ready. Yeah, Old yeah. Rough and Ready. Yeah, Old Rough and Ready. Mm, pretty, pretty darn good. Let's get a little bit more contemporary, a little bit more uh, Ronnie Reagan. Ronald, Ronald Reagan. What, what was the ape movie? Bedtime for Bonzo. Right. Yeah. Oh, Bonzo. You want yeah. to, he named it after the monkey? Or Gipper. Gipper. I was thinking, if I get naked, you can you can see my Gipper in my two jelly beans. <laughs> yep. That's what I was picturing. Jelly beans. Jelly bean? Yeah. Jelly bean. Oh, the dick is called jelly bean? Yeah. Oh. Well, it's spotted like a jelly bean is kind of what I'm imagining. Well, that's an old one. The Gippers. It's one that's been in his pocket for a while. <laughs> you got one more? Trickle down. Oh. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. That's, that's a good one. That's the one. Yep. That's trickle, the trickle one. Trickle down. Perfect. Bill Clinton. Give me, come on. Give me an easy one. Oh. Home Run uh, Derby. Come on. S- S- Slick Willie. Yeah. NAFTA. Oh, maybe an Arkansas thing. Little Rock? Big Rock. Oh, Big Rock. Oh, yeah. Big Rock's good. Big yeah. Rock. Big Rock's good. Oh, Whitewater. Whitewater. Whitewater's good. Whitewater's a good one. Scandalous. <laughs> but Barack. Barack Obama. Marlboro Red. Didn't he smoke Ooh, Marlboro yeah, Red? Yeah, oh, yeah. he smoked yeah. Marlboro Red, yeah. You want to take a puff? 
Obamacare. Obamacare. Oh, oh, Obamacare. Oh, oh yeah. Obamacare. Affordable cock act. Affordable <laughs> cock yeah. act. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to do it. Sorry, Donald Trump. Ivanka. Oh yeah, he of course. Mm-hmm. Don Jr. He's like I named something Don Jr. before I named my own son Don Jr. I named him after my penis. <laughs> Uh, Joe Biden. What's Joe? What's Joe? What's old Joe calling his? I call him man. So I call say, come on, man. Malarkey. Malarkey's good. Mr. Malarkey. Do you think he slicks back his pubes? Yes. Oh, oh totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Or his dog's a major and champ. 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 Yeah. Champ. Oh, champ. Yeah, exactly. Champ. And now, uh, how about you guys? When you guys become president, what is your nickname for your dick? I already have one. What's yeah? yours? My penis's name is Todd. Cause it goes, my weenie. My weenie Todd. Ah. The tiny penis of Ray meant. It's got its own little tune. It's music by Sondheim. <laughs> um, mine is just called Out of Order, and <laughs> I, I would prefer not to talk about it on air. But it's because it's the judge, because this is out of order. Oh, is that, it's got a little gavel no, it's, down it's, there. It's, oh, it's, okay. it's, it's a medif- medication and a blood flow issue, so I, I, could, I just don't want to talk about it. Got it. Oh, okay. Got it. That's why you're not wearing belts lately. No, it's... It, oh, okay, so thanks so much for listening. Uh, this was God. the Flossie Harding episode. If, if you've got some ideas for presidential dick names, hit us up. And don't forget, we want to thank our new sponsor, Cialis. <laughs> They're helpful sometimes. That's their slogan. They're helpful sometimes. <laughs> They're, helpful. They're helpful sometimes. I, some I had Cialis. I didn't work. I flushed it down the toilet, and now my toilet seat won't go down. <laughs> What fucking Milton Berle joke book are you? Do you pull these out of? Well, usually with Viagra, but you know, you set me up with Cialis, and I took the bait. Make 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 sure to uh, go to www.cialis.com and enter in promo code. Wow, Rob, that was great. All one word. I knew a guy that overdosed from Cialis. He had to have an open casket, but the bottom part. Okay, awesome. Says he also. <laughs> Bye, Flossie. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 